BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Few Things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. This show is brought to you by Avakind. Find out more and sign up for our newsletter at avakind.com. Oh, and while you're there, why not order a copy of our new book, Work Wife? It's chock full of conversations with amazing female partners. You should definitely buy a copy of Work Wife and leave a review. Oh my gosh, great idea. You know what else you should do? Huh. We've got a lot of assignments. <laughs> leave a voicemail for us. Yes, 833-AVAKIND. Do it. We um, might even play it on air. It's possible. Yeah. Who can, who can say? Not me. <laughs> you know what else I, I can't say? What? Uh, it, whether or not I have gray hairs anymore because I've been using this Christopher band. What a temporary. transition. What a transition. Yeah. <laughs> Color gel. Actually, not true. I'm too busy. I haven't used it recently and I need to really badly. So tell me about this product a little bit because um, I haven't used it yet. I'm super into it and I'm I'm actually not too busy because it's quite easy to use. But so I've been getting a lot of gray hairs. I'm like strays. Yeah. I'm far from ready to commit to doing a full Anything. dye. Yeah. yeah. Because of so many things involved in it um but i'm not i i women lots of women can pull off gray hair i'm not at a stage where i can pull it off and um i just want it covered up easily and this is this product by christoph raban who makes a ton of really culty hair products many of which we sell on the site and it's just it's a gel that you put in your hair after washing it. One of the things I really love that they suggest is while you have it on, also put a deep conditioner on your roots. Oh, so you can do both? Not. Yeah, huh. which is tremendous because then when you rinse it out, your hair, A, your strays are covered up and B, your hair is so soft. Because I think the gel also kind of makes your hair softer. Um, and it's just, it's a really easy way to deal with stray grays. And I feel like I and a lot of my peers are at this stage where we have these stray grays and we're not totally ready to You don't know what you're going to do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's just it's a transitionary a, moment. It's a very easy and natural looking way to cover them up. I feel wonderful about it. And you can get this product for 10% off with the code a few things. Yeah, you can. Give it a shot. Um, so we're at Alex's house, obviously. And you know, I if anybody thought that Alex's house might not be super high end, you should know that Alex is serving us Harney and Sons Paris tea today, yes, which is, is my favorite tea. And I did not know that that was on the menu at Alex's house, but I'm quite <laughs> thrilled about it. Thrilled about this discovery. It's um, such a good tea. This is my 
first time having caffeine in a really long time. Which is crazy to me because you used to drink kind so of much. a ton of caffeine. I Well, everybody knows the coffee bed. Yeah, totally. I you mean, had a whole piece of furniture in your apartment named for caffeine and your yeah, consumption of it. I didn't cut it out intentionally. Um, so, but, but why did you? Because you were <laughs> just, I'm still a little confused I'll tell about you it. exactly. I'm going to bring okay. you on my journey. Okay. So. First, I cut out coffee while I was pregnant because I had such insane acid reflux. And right. I, so I It was less about tea. like caffeine concerns. Yeah, it, exactly. it was like more about just the fact that everything was making, making you me throw up. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. So I cut out the coffee and I transitioned to tea. And then because I wasn't as dependent, you know, tea is just weaker. I was weak. less. <laughs> yeah, it's weak. I was just less dependent on caffeine in general. And every once in a while, I would go a day without caffeine. Um, where I would just skip the tea. And then when I had Cam, I had this thing where I was like, I need to be able to sleep at any point. Whenever you want to sleep. Whenever I want to sleep. Because everybody says sleep when the baby sleeps, right? And so, you know, he was sleeping at 2 p.m. sometimes. And I was like, I need to be able to nap at that point. And I was very committed to figuring out how to just sleep at any given moment. So I didn't ever want to drink caffeine because I was like, if I have a cup of coffee at 10 and then he goes down for a nap at noon, I want to be able to take advantage of that time. I understand this in theory, but when you and I discussed this mm-hmm. further, I I think I determined that the right time for you to have a cup of coffee was like 7 a.m. You were right. I just like if like it doesn't hold up to like close, close <laughs> inspection, this right. argument. Well, and your point there was because rarely am I taking a nap at 9 a.m. No, he's going to be up for yeah. a couple hours in well, the morning. If he did nap at 9 a.m., you weren't going to go to bed at 9 a.m. nap at right. 9 a.m. You were absolutely so like, right. Sure, I hear you, but but also in these those first couple of weeks postpartum, you're not really thinking straight. And I just, you know, everything was scattered. And the funny thing is, the funny thing is, the shocking thing is, I got like a three day migraine, um, three or four day migraine, and I just assumed that it had something to do with having had Cam because I stopped getting migraines towards the end of my pregnancy, or not yeah. even towards the end, but like all of my second and third trimester. People have told me that that is often a bonus side effect of pregnancy that you stop getting migraines, and it's hormonal, likely. Yeah. yeah okay. So when I when two or three days after having Cam, I got this massive migraine. I was like, oh, because I no longer have this pregnancy benefit. Now I'm getting mm-hmm. a migraine again. What I now in retrospect realized, and I was too foggy brained at the time to recognize, was that was a caffeine withdrawal headache because yeah. I cut out caffeine cold turkey all of a sudden. And then I haven't gotten any migraines since. And so I've just sort of been like, I'm going to keep this going for as long as I can. I mean, I, you know, as we started the show discussing, I'm having a cup of tea right I now. I just think maybe a cup of tea every now and then is not, not going to be the thing. I will say coming back to work and then going into book promotion and then <laughs> getting and a little bit sick. And having a 10-week-old baby. Yeah. Having a 10-week-old baby. I suppose old, those yeah. things add up. Yeah. It's going to make it a challenge to stick with it. But if nothing else the lack of migraines feels like a reason enough to try to cut it out as much as I can because they have just plagued me so intensely and for so long. So I'm going to try to stick with it and just have like a half a cup of tea here or there. I definitely miss coffee. I like coffee. I have now become reliant on two cups of coffee. Yeah, that's where I got, which, which I don't, I've just never been there before, and I don't know when it happened or how it happened. I'll tell you how it happened. One time you go like, oh, what a treat that would be to just have an extra cup today. And and then you're like, that was fun yesterday. I'm going to do it again today. But honestly, the first couple times I did it, I definitely felt like wired and crazy (laughs) because I am caffeine sensitive. So why did I keep doing it? I don't know. I I I guess I was just like exhausted and thought that this was the answer to the question. I don't know that it is, but I'm definitely in a two cups of coffee place, and I don't necessarily want to be there. So this is your third cup of coffee? 
caffeine today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first, so the first, um, so Thomas is traveling this week and when he's traveling, I have um, the pods, the pods and they, the pods I've been using now are by this brand called Woken mm-hmm. um, and they're, and I buy them because the little capsule thingies are mm-hmm. biodegradable and they fit in an espresso. Yeah, they're That's Nespresso great. pods, but they're biodegradable. That's wonderful. Um, you can buy them directly from their site. They're also on Goop. Um, and I like them, but I don't think they're very, they're, I don't think they're super strong. Okay. Um, and so I just have two pods, which okay. doesn't, which, you know, in your mind is like basically a third of, of a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk more about you having a baby? We can. Can we do a super deep dive? Because I know that we've gotten a lot of questions, comments about yes. this. Um, that yeah. is, that's what we're doing on this. That's episode. what we're doing. Okay. Um, so I, before we talk about this stuff, I just want to preface it by saying that I find it really challenging to know how to talk about this stuff um, for many reasons. Um, yes. One of which is that I come from a place of enormous privilege. Um, and I mean that in so many ways. Like one, um, I have the resources like financial and and human to support yeah. me. Um, I, I have plenty of those. I also am white and um, I'm a white woman. And, you know, the care you get at hospitals the care is very different. Is the way you're treated in the world is very different. The m- mortality rate for um, women of color who give birth is shocking and alarming. Mm-hmm. Um, and in general, as we've discussed on the podcast, I just think motherhood and having a baby and the decision to become a parent is so loaded and it was for me and I never want to be the person who a like scares somebody so much about the idea of having kids and I also don't want to be the person who describes my situation as seeming so sunny and wonderful and then makes someone else feel like why don't I feel that way yeah um well another thing to to speak for you for a moment well you can (laughs) because we've talked about this at length yeah um you also had a relatively easy time conceiving, which mm-hmm. is not the circumstance yes. that so many people are in. Exactly. I and and I've been fortunate in many ways, like related to the health of the pregnancy and of the baby and all of that. And again, I think I, I see it in myself and I see it in my friends. Like it is stunning how sensitive you become in this process to other people's experiences yep. and the comparison game is is so heightened and I like, well, because it's all new to you. If you have no confidence, yeah. like as soon as I mean, again, I know shit about this, yeah, like yeah. literally zero. Right. But my sense is that because you're going into the situation that you have literally no idea what you're doing, you have no confidence in your ability to parent. This is all so new to you. And you're looking around and yeah. you're seeing anybody who feel it looks like they have half a clue. You're like, well, I. I'm cl- I'm clearly doing it all. I'm I'm doing terribly. I'm exactly. doing absolutely terribly. So yeah, I just wanted to pre- I I hope that this episode feels like informative and interesting and doesn't make people feel bad or sad or scared, but it does come from a a, a very like it's my perspective on things and it yeah. is a privileged perspective and I am The data set is one here. Yeah, exactly. It's not everybody's experience and and that's the case always, right? Like everybody's different, everybody is different, every baby is different, you know. Um so can you tell us your birth story? <laughs> I really was How desperate to have? say that. I was super <laughs> desperate to say that. And I'm so glad I got to. I'm going to tell the part of the birth story that you really care about, <laughs> yeah, which perfect. is that we planned a pop-up shop for the week before Christmas. Cam was due December. His official due date was December 29th. Um, and the pop-up shop closed on, well, end of day on December 23rd. So Yeah. And so I had been like, obviously, I like who knows what situation I'll be in, but I'd love to help if I can. You know, if I and like, <laughs> let me tell you, people, the navigating around how to involve or not involve Claire in the pop up was like something that the whole of a kind team definitely had to bite off, especially Jesse, who was planning the pop up where she made a spreadsheet of when everybody was going to work 
and she and I had a conversation. She was like, so I put Claire's name on the spreadsheet, but I didn't assign her any times. And I was like, that's exactly right. <laughs> You're including her, but not <laughs> actually counting on this. her. You're including her, but not counting on her. And I think that is exactly the place to be. Because if Claire's name yeah. wasn't on the list, then she'd spiral about like, I'm not yeah. even part of the team, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. But if you're putting Claire on the list of people working, you're setting ourselves up to be short-staffed. Well, and then, I mean, you guys listen, have you guys have listened to this podcast before. So you can imagine the psychology on my part when the pop-up came around and I'm like, well, I'm not on the schedule, but it's not like I have anything like super important to be doing right now. So I should probably be there. But like, if I'm there, then it's like annoying that somebody else is there and I should relieve them of their duties and like... It was complicated. The last day before most people sort of like departed for the holidays um, was a Friday because Christmas, I think, was on a Monday or yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, it was December year. 20th. So I woke up and I had planned to sort of take that time off, obviously, yeah. because I assumed that I was going to have a baby at some point. So I woke up that Saturday morning so anxious because I was just like, cool. The next two, I could be spending the next two weeks sitting around waiting for a baby to happen yeah. while everybody goes and celebrates the holidays. I've got to get myself to this pop-up shop. I need to feel like part of the world. I need to go be a part of this. So I, and I was, and I was feeling like anxious, borderline depressed, which now I look back and I'm like, oh, because my hormones were wild because I was about to have a baby. And so I went to the pop-up shop to work. I showed up. I was all happy. You were mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. It was great. My back really started hurting at some point. My lower back. I went to. But you were also on your feet sort of a lot for yeah. a person who was about to deliver a baby. So it could have been that. It was hard to know for sure. We kept joking. Maybe I'd go into labor at the pop-up shop. And in retrospect, I did start labor at the pop-up <laughs> shop. Um, I went to dinner that we, I had an early dinner with my husband and a friend of ours and um, felt guilty about leaving the pop-up shop yeah. for dinner. And yeah. I was like, I feel so bad. I left everybody there. Like, why do I get to go have dinner when they're all working? So then I texted Marie from the pop-up shop. Mm -hmm. And I was like, take the day off tomorrow. I knew she was leaving. She was stressed about packing for her sure. holiday. Mm -hmm. She And I was like, I'm going to work tomorrow. You don't need to work. It's totally fine. And at that point, you know, it, there were no signs I was in labor except the fact that my back was in so much pain. And I should just say that because I'm a really good friend and business partner, I've been super clear about the fact that Clara should make no commitments to the pop-up shop. So went home that night um, after texting Marie, take the day off tomorrow. I got you, girl. Mm -hmm. Um... <laughs> Back started to feel like my lower back really started to feel intensely painful. So Chris and I were like, let's just relax, watch a movie. I Googled, can lower back pain be a sign of labor? You can Google anything. Is it a sign of labor? And the answer will be maybe. Yeah. So I just kind of ignored it. And then I was like, well, if this is labor, I really need to figure out what we're naming this kid. So I stood up <laughs> at, I frantically started searching for the baby name book. And Chris was like, what's going on? And and then all like as he asked that question, I all of a sudden felt something in my pants and it wasn't my water breaking. It was called a term I hate called bloody show. It's there are a lot of bad things like bad, like terminology associated yeah. with baby things. Mm -hmm. But that one for me takes the cake. Well, the wonderful thing about it is that then that term got used in my face like 20 times over the course of the next several yeah, hours. You, because had to, you had to hear it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> to fast forward a bit, my labor progressed really quickly. And I was in back labor, meaning that he, the baby was head down, but he was face up. Um, and they call it sunny, sunny side, side up. up. Which I, that one I don't mind. You're right. You know, sunny side up, I'm okay with. So we go to the hospital um, and we... and. 
I had a was so fortunate to have this really wonderful doula with me. And so as she's bringing me in, you know, all the nurses and the triage, everybody's mm-hmm. asking for the status update. And the doula is just going, he's sunny side up and she's she's had her bloody show. She's had her bloody show. And every, no. it's like everybody is here. just screaming bloody show, bloody show, bloody Get show. And I'm like, stop it also saying that. It sounds really British. <laughs> yes. I hated it. I hate it. Everybody stop saying bloody show. Um, anyway. I would, my labor progressed very, very quickly. I was in an an insane amount of pain. Like I I absolutely could not handle it. I already knew that I wanted an epidural because I had made that decision um, a long time before going into labor. And once I got the epidural, I was so happy. And I joked to you and our friend Jamie that it was the second best thing to happen to me in 2018. I don't know if it's really a joke um, because I really enjoyed like the, the time in between getting to the, you know, getting the epidural and having the baby. Yeah. Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was giddy. I was excited. I mean, I was on drugs, you know, but, yeah, sure. but like I was, Chris and I were like feeling like very like in love and I was FaceTiming my you mom. You had a good experience. Yeah. yeah. And I was texting with my friends and I, I felt good about it. And I just, and I also, and I, I couldn't believe what a difference it made. And I just couldn't believe that anybody opts not to do it. And again, no judgment, do what you got to do. But I, for my own part, I'm just like, there's nothing noble about pain. I'm so thrilled to have had this. I know that some people think that it like prolongs labor or whatever. Maybe it does. I don't know. All I'm there's saying a, is- Yeah, there's a lot of research done about a lot of different things. Yeah. But for you, this I, was the way to go. I was thrilled about it. It felt great. Um, I It also, I guess because my labor progressed so quickly, I didn't get dilated and much at all and then once i got the epidural because my body relaxed so much i dilated much more quickly um and then yeah and then then you had a baby then i had a baby i really endorse having a doula which was something i had been not like somewhat indifferent about like i we interviewed a ton of doulas and i wasn't psyched about any and it was like why were you indifferent i just assumed that the labor was going to go how it was going to go I wasn't. That you couldn't control any. That of the I factors. couldn't control. I kind of assumed I was going to have a C-section, and because I had been a C-section, as if that has something to do with sure. it. But but so many of my friends have C-sections, um, and I, my sense was that a lot of times doulas are there to help you prevent a C-section or to help you prevent from taking drugs. And I, again, knew I wanted drugs, and I I just sort of felt like I'm fine if I have a C-section. I'm fine if I take drugs. I why do I need this? The one reason that I wanted to do it and that I did do it was because many people said once you're in the hospital. People are looking out for the baby. They're not looking out for you. And a doula is an advocate for you. And that spoke to me. And I really liked that. And sure enough, it was a completely game-changing thing. And I really wish that doulas were covered by health insurance. I wish every woman could have a doula. We were alone in the hospital room a ton, um, just me, Chris, and the doula. And I think that would have been tremendously scary. I mean, you know how my brain works. It always goes to the worst possible scenario. And the doula was just there telling me exactly what was happening the entire time and coaching me through it. And to have, and I mean, if you've ever been to the hospital, you know, it just never feels like you're getting enough information. Everybody's pressed for time. Everybody's just like, or that you're not speaking the same language, you know, because they can say bloody show a million times (laughs) and you might only have a limited sense of what that means. Exactly. And so to have somebody in there just answering all of your questions, even when I got to the hospital, I knew my labor had progressed really quickly and because I was only I only labored at home for like an hour or something and I know that most women spend a lot more time before they go to the hospital. And so I was so nervous they weren't going to give me the epidural that they were yeah. going to say it's too late. And I told my doula that I said when am I going to get through triage? I'm so nervous they'll tell me it's too late for the epidural. And she just looked at me and she said that's not going to happen. 
and my emotional state shifted completely. And it's like those little things are just so important and totally change, I think, your experience of of something like that. So um, shout out. Oh, go ahead. Can No, 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 no. Can you can you tell us about the experience of having the doula after? Too, because mm-hmm. I think that that for me that felt like an impactful thing as well. So she, well, for one, she stayed a couple hours after Cam was born and basically like gave me the the basics on breastfeeding, just you know when he was put in our arms and stuff. And and then she showed up at our house a couple days after we got home and talked us, you know, asked how it was going, gave me more breastfeeding stuff uh, tips, weighed him, um, just generally answered all of the questions that feel like they fall somewhere in between a something you're supposed to be asking your pediatrician and something you're supposed to be asking your doctor, but you don't feel like you have enough time with either of them to be asking. Um, We've talked about this previously, but obviously postpartum care for um, women in America is abysmal. And she was there to, I think, pick up a lot of the slack that, frankly, I just didn't get from my OB, which was, you know, talking to me about pelvic floor physical therapy, talking to me about, um, you know, I was totally torn up underneath. I had a huge tear and was in an insane amount of pain and needed somebody to say, you need to not go to the pediatrician appointment tomorrow and just like have Chris call you and tune in via speakerphone because you shouldn't be walking up and down stairs right now. And I don't know who would have said that to me that right. I would have trusted, you know, like right. maybe my mom or something could have said but that. I don't, but I don't know that that would have been, I mean, yeah. I, this person's gone through it enough and gone through it enough yeah. uh, with a lot of different women to be able to give you that advice in a way that you'll be confident in it. Absolutely. And then when I started pumping, I decided to start pumping a little bit earlier than is recommended because I wanted somebody to be able to give him a bottle, Cam a bottle at night, and I wanted to be able to sleep through the night. And um, I called her and was like, what do I do? How do I start? How do I not screw up my supply? And she just walked me through the entire thing. And that was really amazing. And again, I just don't, I don't know. I certainly wasn't going to call my OB in that um, situation. You don't know where you're supposed to go except the internet or a friend or something, which doesn't feel like any of those people are the answer to the question. Any of those people are platforms for the answer to that question. A lot of health insurance plans cover lactations consultant, lactation consultants. It's not that easy to find one um, because there just aren't that many of them. Yeah. Um, It's, it's a challenge. It's, it's rough out there. I, I do. I really endorse the doula. I, if you are looking for a doula, I think one good place to look that we didn't end up going with, but um, Carriage House Birth um, provides doulas and they have different pricing tiers. And the um, I think the first, the, the sort of lowest tier is several hundred dollars. Um, um, and they're based in New York. They, sorry. Yes, they're yeah. based in New York. Um, hopefully there are uh, similar resources in other cities. But um, I do, the, the optimist in me does believe that one day doulas will be covered by health insurance because I was just floored by how critical that felt to my birth experience, um, my birth story. Your birth, thank you. Yeah. I Thank you. I really appreciate you using that. <laughs> Bloody show birth story. That's right. Um, well, the other term that I <laughs> that I really hate that uh, gets used is dream feed. Oh, get me out of here. Yeah. Get that, me out of here. That's when you feed a baby without waking them up in the middle of the night. It just doesn't feel like it needs... <laughs> Alex just groaned. It just doesn't feel like it needs a term. Dream feed. Just... It's just feeding the baby at night. I it's hate just, it. No. Dream feed and bloody show can jump mm. in the trash. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Uh, we were just having a conversation the other day with someone about how painful bra shopping is and like what bras we wear and what ones we like and how there still is not a good solution. <sighs> Truly. But now there is. But now there is. 
Harper Wild is a bra shopping site without the BS. Their revolutionary free home try-on allows you to find the perfect fitting bra in the comfort of your own damn house. The female founders set out to design a bra that provides support with comfort and quality in mind. Harper Wild bras are set at an attractive price point and easy to buy in bundles so you can make over your bra drawer and wear your favorite bra even on laundry day. So they have three different bras that you can pick. So different sizes, color styles, they're shipped right to your door without charging a credit card, which is kind of amazing. Shipping is covered both ways and you only pay for the bras you keep. So the three bras are the base, the boost, and the flex, all designed to support you comfortably throughout the day so that you won't do that thing where you come home and the first thing you want to do before you've even like washed your hands is take off your bra, which is the worst feeling. Worst feeling. A portion of Harper Wilde's profits are donated to reputable projects that help women gain access to education in 120 countries around the world, which we obviously love. Love. Go to harperwild.com slash a few things to get started today with a free at-home try-on and get a free bra wash bag. If you have a bra, you need a wash bag. And now you can get one for free. Make sure to select three bras to try on, and don't forget to add that wash bag to your cart, too. That's HarperWild, W-I-L-D-E, dot com slash a few things to try on three bras at home for free and get that free gift. HarperWild.com slash a few things. Okay, so where are you getting information on parenting? So I generally, like, throughout all of this have taken the approach of I don't want to know the thing until I have to. Yeah. So I haven't because I know myself and I know I'll freak myself out. So I mostly you don't need to you don't need to flip to the end of the book exactly to to the next chapter. And I know that I'll freak myself out. So my general approach has been to sort of have one to two books for each stage of this. So, you know, when I was pregnant, it was expecting better and like a mother. Um, Also, here's the plan by Allie Downey, which is about how to manage um, work and new motherhood. Um, I have been for most just sort of like newborn baby raising stuff. I like happiest baby on the block. And you've probably heard of this before. If you've been around babies, it's the five S's method, which is swaddle, shush, side sleeping. You know, it's not interesting, but it works. <laughs> um, it's by Dr. Harvey Karp, who's like the pediatrician of our generation. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah, also yeah. makes the snoo. Um, uh, for sleep, I read 12 hours by 12 weeks. Um, I think that's a strong title. Strong title. I'm very into the title. So I've been trying to not read too many books because I know it will freak me out. It's also a piece of advice we got from our friends who had a really colicky baby at, who were so desperate and read every book and said that it really just made them so much crazier. Um, because all the books say different things. Yeah. all the And well, here's the thing. All the books say slightly different things. They're all right. Yeah. And all these it's methods It's just like choosing work. a lane. Exactly. All of these methods I really do believe work. And it... And so it's just pick one. And they all get to the same conclusion at the end of the day. Um, and I, I find it really hard because even though I do read the one book, I get all sorts of advice from Instagram or wherever I see other things. And I'm, I, much to Chris's chagrin, do get really tempted. I'm like, oh, but this other thing said this and I'm not sure. But it's really the difference between like feed your baby every three hours or feed your baby every four hours. And that's not going to be the thing. So just like choose one or the other. Right, 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 right. The thing that I really recommend is to pick one book as uh, if you have a co-parent, to pick one book with your co-parent and both read it. Because the thing that I find myself and have found myself in a position of doing and really dislike is saying, watching Chris do something and saying, well, the book says this. Right, 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 right. So it's been really helpful if he reads the book too, because then I'm not the authority and or I'm not the nag. It's super important for 
you not to be the authority. Yeah. It's super important. Um, you both have to be in charge mm-hmm. of parenting. And maybe yeah. it's about different things. Right. Maybe like one of you is the swaddling authority and one yeah. of you is the diaper changing authority or whatever right. it's going to be. But yeah. And so I, and somebody had DM'd me on Instagram and been like, are there any good books for husbands or like, you know, the non-birthing parent because I'm looking for something. And I, my response was, no, he should just read whatever you're reading. Yeah. Because um, you should be equipped with the same information. That's really how I felt because the, the imbalance inherent in having in a couple when one is the birthing parent is just unfathomable. Like I, it is impossible for the birthing parent not to just be doing so much more. Um, and, you know, my general take on this, which I can get on my soapbox about, is that if we lived in a just world, the birthing parent would do nothing other than have the baby and breastfeed until the baby was done breastfeeding. Um, that one is of, not the case. One of Thomas's sister's friends mm-hmm. did this. Like, Good. that was their setup. She Good. was like, no, I will do nothing else but this you will be in charge of everything. Yeah. I mean, their their relationship yeah. was specific enough, and yeah. the time, the whatever, the the leave or the like, mm-hmm. uh, a non birthing parent yeah. um, was available at home to do so, yeah. um, and the you know, which is not often the case because yeah. of the way that our uh, leave works mm-hmm. in this country either. Um, but yeah, and that and and you just spoke to something which is that it that was a lot easier to pull off in general when Chris was still home. Yes, um, and. It is challenging. Like I just, I really, it, 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 the physical drain and the time drain of feeding a baby and all of that is just so tremendous. Um, I do think it's really, you know, one way that a that the a non-birthing parent can sort of level up is just getting the information and teaching themselves yeah. the stuff. I mean, something you and I've been talking about a lot recently is. Uh, the emotional labor within a relationship mm. and and where it falls. And I think this idea of, you know, you being, you making sure that you're not the keeper of the information is super important. The keeper of the information because then you also become the project manager. Yes. And you and I both read this really wonderful article by Gemma Hartley and in Harper's Bazaar. It's from I think, a couple years it's ago. It's from a couple too. years ago. I think it went viral at the time and it's about emotional I think labor. it's being turned into a book. Oh, wow. It should yeah. be. Yeah. Um, she really nails it. She she starts out by talking about how all she wanted for Valentine's Day was her husband to find a house cleaner and how that was so loaded because it's not just about finding a house cleaner. It's about like vetting them and like yeah. cross-referencing various resources. I do think that becomes a challenge if your standards are different, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm not going to solve this this huge thing right here, but my at least it's something that's being talked about. More. At least it's something that's being talked about. My like one little piece of wisdom to share is both read the same book. It doesn't matter like what the book is. Pick a book together, both read it. You know what else we really loved on this topic mm-hmm. is uh, the essay that Joe Piazza mm-hmm. wrote for Joe Piazza wrote for the New, New York, York Times, Times um, basically about how. In the beginning, she was being just very controlling about, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that everything was done right and up to yep. her standards. And at a certain point, she realized that in order to power her partner, her husband mm-hmm. in this, she had to allow him to make mistakes and just be the expert in things and be the one to learn by doing. Yeah. Um, so that it wasn't always her being like, no, here's how. Exactly. I mean, in general, I it's so funny because a lot of people say, oh, my husband and I talked about what sort of parents we wanted to be before yeah. we had a baby or... And, I think you can do that, but what's challenging is that you don't actually know what is involved in, you can talk about what type of parents you want to be, but are you talking about what type of partnership you want to be? And unless you really have a handle on what's involved in breastfeeding, what's involved in pumping, what's involved in all of these things, at least in this short term window, 
it's really hard to figure out beforehand. And I maybe I would have been better off learning more before the baby come came. So I could have said to Chris, like, are you going to be the one to put the pump parts together and clean them when I'm it's done? It's just really hard to know it's what really that's going to be like until you've yeah. done it. And part, but there is part of me that wishes that long before we'd ever conceived a baby, we had said, if we're going to do this, yeah, here's what this is going to look like. Yeah. But I didn't even want to know what it was going to look like. Right, right. I didn't want to know what pumping, what was involved in pumping. It felt like too much information. So I didn't even get there. Well, and I also think that a lot of people, whether they be men or women who aren't the birthing parents, Mm -hmm. aren't exposed to as much information around it. Exactly. um, Even, you know, during the pregnancy and all of that. And so it comes as much more of a surprise to them when it's happening. Agreed. Um, how do you deal with Instagram and information there and communicating with other new moms? Mm-hmm. I have gotten a little bit more comfortable with Instagram, but in the beginning I felt really like paralyzed by the concept of it with parenting. And one, I don't know how anybody with a newborn has time to Instagram. <laughs> first of all, first like, of all, I would be just like, start. I would be like, I kind of want to like share this. And then I would just never get around to it because it's really hard when you're holding a baby to Instagram. Yeah. Um, or sleeping whenever you're not holding a baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So number one, mom bloggers out there, more power to you for finding time to create so much content. Um, I, this gets back to how we started the episode. I found right away that all the bad things about Instagram felt really heightened for me as a new mom because I was seeing other babies um, who looked happier, who looked healthier, happier, healthier, were interacting with more toys thrilled at a with the world. Age. Yeah. yeah, and I'd be like, I'm doing something wrong. Um, and I also had friends who I knew were really struggling with motherhood, and I didn't want to post something of my smiling baby and have them be like, Why is my baby not smiling? Yeah. Um, and so, in general, I've tr- tried to be sort of like measured in how I post about it. Um, I also, you know, don't want to post that it's such a shit show and it's so awful and that it's so hard because first of all, everyone knows it's hard. And because I got so scared of having a baby that I almost didn't do it because of how much of that out there there is. So I also don't want to be the person scaring people or looking ungrateful because I'm so fortunate and so privileged. And I remember posting something before I had the baby about like, how annoyed I was about how much crap I had to buy for the baby. Yeah. And my mom responded and was like, this is like not cute, basically. Yeah, and she yeah. was like, you're so fortunate. You're you lucky can't to buy be these things. You're yeah. lucky to be able to buy these things. Like, pull your shit together. And I was like, you know what, mom, you're right. Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, I just don't want to complain about it too much, even though it is really hard. And I also don't want to brag about it too much because it's really hard for other people. Um, so I, I really don't know how to um, share about it other than to like, post the occasional cute pictures because it's just hard not to um and also don't want to become like a full-time baby feed and that's the other thing like instagram for better or worse for some people who don't know you well is your entire identity right and i'm aware of that that like a lot of people view me almost exclusively through the lens of instagram and maybe this podcast (laughs) and if it's all of a sudden filled with baby stuff and mom stuff, am I just a mom then? Well, and you were really concerned, and I think a lot of women mm-hmm. are about losing your identity mm-hmm. to this and um, and becoming, you know, uh, someone who was thought of exclusively as a mom and not someone who had other facets of her life and personality and identity. So that makes it, that's exactly right. And that makes it really hard because then you're doing the mental math of like, well, when was the last time I posted a baby picture? And am I balancing enough baby stuff with work stuff and what else? And you have to think about your content strategy. That's right. In a way <laughs> which, that I just didn't which, before uh, and don't yeah, want to gross, because gross, at the gross, end gross, of the day, Instagram's not my job. No. It's a part of my job. Yeah. And so that, um, that has just been a real mind fuck for me, for lack of a better word. Um, and 
Yeah, it, 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 it it's exactly right. I was so worried about losing my identity. Literally, when the baby came out, I was like the Little Mermaid when she got legs. Where I was just like looking at my body, being like, "Am I am still I the still? same person? Am uh-huh. I still?" Uh-huh. And um, yeah, and I was thrilled to find out that I am still the same person. It was a huge relief to me, and just felt like I wanted, I would like that to be portrayed in my Instagram as well. Um, so yeah, I've struggled with that. I don't know the answer to that, but um, I'm just making it up as I go along. Um, can we talk about what was useful from friends and family as you were, as you were dealing with the first, you know, four, eight, 12 Mm -hmm. weeks? One thing, I mean, it's such a tricky balance because on one hand, I was very conscious that if I felt isolated and alone after having a baby, that that was going to be a quick path to depression for me. It's also hard to have visitors no matter how, um, not demanding they are because it just means you can't nap. Like, if nothing else, it's just like, oh, it's like one last window for a nap today. Yeah. Um, So I think, like, keeping visits to, like, two hours max sort of in those, like, first couple of weeks was important. Um, I think food was great, especially things we could freeze. Mm -hmm. That was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny. For people who were, like, mother-in-laws and people who were, like, staying longer, a lot of times, like, holding the baby wasn't the thing. And and everybody's different because I talked to my friend about this and she was like, I just wanted people to hold the baby. Hmm. And I was like, holding the baby's not the thing. For me, it's like, I just want someone to vacuum. <laughs> to fold laundry. Yes. One thing that I found really challenging was that at the hospital, they scared the shit out of me by telling me, you know, explaining to me basically what would happen if the baby got any sort of a fever, which mm, was basically he'd have mm, to get a spinal mm, tap mm, because mm. before eight weeks, he's not vaccinated. And also they can't determine whether something is viral or an infection or bacterial. Yes, yes yeah. that's the that's what. So multiple pediatricians told me you don't take him anywhere where you can't control whether or not the people in the room have had a flu shot, which like, is everywhere, everywhere. And so they were like, you know, and if people are coming over, they should have a flu shot. And I was like, this is socially really awkward. And but at the same time, I don't really want to be giving be in the emergency room with my four week old with a spinal spinal tap. tap. Yeah, ideally not. So I had to ask everybody who came over whether or not they had a flu shot. And in some cases said, like, well, if you do want to come over, I need you to get a flu shot, which was really a test of like my willingness to step outside my comfort zone as a parent um which and i had to just tell myself i was like there are going to be so much more sort of like embarrassing awkward things you're going to have to do as a parent so just suck it up and do this i had break the seal that's right i had um a block of text save in my notes that i would just copy paste when people would you had text. a canned response yeah, i had a canned response people would text me like when can i see the baby and there's this response it was like depends on how you feel about flu shots um if you feel good about them anytime um and if not you just have to wait totally Cool, totally yeah. cool. If not, no judgment. Yeah, but it's gonna have to wait a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. They, I'm so relieved he got past the eight week point, and now it's not such a big deal. Truly, um, yeah. Um, we should talk for a couple minutes mm-hmm. about how we dealt with maternity leave and you being out of the office and how all of that went. I would love to. Yes. Um, so as I think we've discussed here, I. Maternity leave is a weird thing for me to talk about because obviously on the one hand, I am just as outraged as everybody else that we are not more advanced as a nation on this issue and that it's not just it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. It is tragic. And it is fucking ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. It's like truly a matter of life and death for for a lot of people. It is um, 
it's just really upsetting. And, uh, and of course, like having been through it now, it's even more upsetting to realize how many people just can't access um, paid leave or leave at all. Um, and so we I was lucky enough not to, you know, be struggling so much with that aspect of it. But what I did struggle a lot with was that I didn't want to miss out on work like as you know, the pop-up shop sort of story indicates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love work. I have serious FOMO when I'm not there. I didn't, I couldn't wrap my head around how I would leave for whatever period of time and then just jump right back in. Mm -hmm. It didn't Mm -hmm. seem realistic to me. And I think the truth is it's not realistic for women to just go totally MIA for three months or however long they're lucky enough to have leave. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and then jump right back into where they were. So you see like the, the sort of secondary issue once leave is established and, and that exists is how do we solve for mothers like getting back into the workplace and fathers, hopefully. Yeah. No, I um, mean, I, I think that's really important. I think that you, there is this sense of, okay, someone is taking leave because they're having a baby or because mm-hmm. they have a you know family medical issue to deal with or whatever it is. And we're going to plan for how to cover for that person when they're out. But then there is not much thought about how will we reintegrate that person into the workplace when they're ready to return mm-hmm. um, in a way that um, is respectful and conducive to their needs and yeah. the business's needs. Well, and you read once you start reading about this stuff, you read a lot about what's called off ramping, which is where like women come back to work, but then they don't stay at work. Yeah. And then or women like just find that once they come back to work, that they are. They're like, what is my role here? Or like, right. Yeah. Or they're not promoted or they're not advanced yeah. in the same way that they were before yeah. they had the baby. And I think that is because it's just unrealistic to think that, you know, you wouldn't have to plan for this in some way. Yeah. And that's not to say that I think that women shouldn't, if they want to be totally disconnected for that entire time. Yeah, yeah, while yeah. yeah. Baby. But they should have options. Yeah. You should have options. Um, we were really inspired in part by um, Amanda Hesser and Meryl Stubbs, the founders of Food 52, who we interviewed for our book, Work Wife, who told us in what I don't think they thought was going to be an emotional story, but made me cry, um, that when Meryl had her first baby, Amanda would send her an email every week at the end of every week that was just a rundown of everything she needed to know with none of the stuff she didn't. And I remember, I still get chills when I talk about it. And I think it's just because I have for so long been so scared of this idea of having a baby and missing out on work. Yeah. And um, you came to me and basically like one-upped them. (laughs) And you were like... (laughs) I drew on their inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And you were like, fucking email. No, um, you were like, I can come over to your place a couple afternoons a week and I can either help you with a baby or we can catch up on work. Like we can just like do what would be helpful. And again, I cried this time even more because I was so scared of feeling so isolated from you, of feeling isolated from work, of coming back and feeling no sense of belonging or authority because I would have missed out completely on everything that happened. And so you did. You came over on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons and we would catch up on what we needed to catch up on. You would tell me what was going on. We would get work done that needed to be done. And also you would just help me like prep dinner or hold the baby or whatever. And it was the most like amazing gift anyone's ever given me um as someone who wanted to be able to both work and take care of a newborn it was the sort of the best possible scenario well and i will say it wasn't just for you yeah no um i mean i think i had a lot of fears and concerns about what it would be like to be at the office by myself Mm -hmm. um not by myself we yeah. have a team of 10 people total but it's like no one across the couple's desk a hundred percent um and to and i had 
you know, obviously for the last nine years gotten very comfortable with the fact that we run this business together mm-hmm. um, and to not have that, um, I was concerned about. And then I also, I, I think I didn't really realize at the time, um, but when I started coming to see you on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think I was, I think being exposed to your day-to-day life in that way from the very beginning of this experience was super important mm-hmm. because as we've talked about on this podcast and mm-hmm. other places before, the fact that I'm not going to have children um, and the fact that you do have a child has felt like something we have to contend with or yeah. something that we need to you know, figure out how to navigate. And by being exposed to the day-to-day of your life and seeing the reality of it um, and seeing that you know, the concern that you had about losing your identity to this and all that wasn't happening was good for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to see how it played out and 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 to get comfortable with Cam right out yeah. of the gate and to, you know, to hold him when he was a couple hours old mm-hmm. and then to hold him again yep. two weeks later and, you know, two weeks and two days later and all of that, yep. um, I think was really core. Um, and, and, and same for me to know that if, you know, when you and I were texting or slacking or whatever, when I wasn't at the office that you had a scent, if I was like, I just can't deal right now, you knew I'd what, seen that, what that looked like. Exactly. I'd exactly. seen like what you being sleep deprived mm-hmm. on a day looked like, or what yeah. you being like, why won't he just yeah. looked like. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so what we would do basically is on my end, you know, as things came up in the office, we, we had prepared in advance a rundown of what we might want to the things that Claire would want to be involved in still. And so we based this partially very loosely on mm-hmm. a spreadsheet, on a template um, that the founders of the, the co-founders of the Muse put together mm-hmm. on how to deal with uh, maternity leave between the two of them and sort of within their company, which is really helpful, a good starting point. And so Claire had put together a spreadsheet mm-hmm. of who she was delegating, what task to, and sort of for what period of time. Yep. Um, and what things she would ideally want to be kept in the loop on if she was in the place to be, kept in the loop on anything. And what my recurring meetings are and like how they were dealing. Exactly. So certain things it would be like, okay, this person is handling this and, you know, Erica's just not going to deal with managing that aspect of the business at all. And this is just going to be sort of like put on someone's plate. Other things, you know, I would pick up uh, certain check-ins or overseeing other things. So what I would do as things would come up is I would just go into our, uh, mine and Claire's recurring agenda and add items. And before I would go see her, I would go through it and bold the things that I was hoping to get through that day. Sometimes we'd get through all of them. Sometimes we would get through half of them. Um, And we would just try to kind of figure out how to prioritize those things so that Claire was getting updates and say in as much as possible. Yeah. It, It was such a game changer for me. It was also nice to know that as much as I wanted to be paying attention and working all the time that I could tune out and know that Erica would catch me up on things. Um, and I know, and obviously this is not realistic for many people, you know, it is aided we have by a geography. very specific relationship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also is it aided by geography? It is aided by our intimate level of intimacy. But, um, I do think thinking about whether or not someone wants to be able to, wants to be kept in the loop and whether that is possible to facilitate is important. And 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 if it's not that, then thinking about how are you reintegrating them when they come back into the office is is very important. Um, and I think honestly, you know, we've talked about like motherhood allyship mm-hmm. on on the show before too. I think it becomes a responsibility of the person who a person in the office who's not having a child to mm-hmm. raise their hand and volunteer to do this, whether or not it's a relationship like ours where yeah. it's very obvious sort of who that person would be. But you know, if you have a close coworker who you know, is going through this, you could be the one to say like, hey, 
I'm down to like send you an email every week or I'm down to like hop on the call, uh, like a 30 minute phone call with you and update you if that's something you want. I'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was such, such a gift to me. And um, it, but to both of us and to our business, you know what I mean? I mean, I think if you had felt like you were like out there on your own Mm -hmm. and disconnected from the things that um, have been so core to your day to day Mm -hmm. life for the last nine years, that would have been shitty for everything that's absolutely right and listen this is i mean this is also another topic that we're not going to solve here and that i've seen other people speak about articulately which is i think it's really hard for ambitious people to grapple with this period of newborn care where you should be able to and in some sense you just should disconnect and say like i'm just focused i'm totally present for this baby that needs everything from me right now the flip side being I still want to feel like myself and myself is and being myself means being connected to work and I need to like honor that part of my identity. And I think that's really hard to balance. And I think um, it's a similar thing to all of motherhood, which is that there's so much aggressive messaging around it and there's not enough nuance in general. And I wish there was more of that. Um, can we talk about one more thing? I'm so curious what it is. Um, coming back to the office, mm-hmm. like 85% sort of yes. where we are right now. Um, and dealing with breastfeeding and pumping and all of that. Man, you can hear people talk about how hard it is over and over, but, and I, until you do it or like see someone else do it, I don't know if you can really wrap your head around it. It's really challenging. And in general, it's also funny doing this podcast episode about like new motherhood where I'm like, I only know 11 weeks worth of it. Sure. Because three weeks ago, I'd be like, it's actually not, you know, not that hard to breastfeed and pump. And then, and I'm so fortunate that it hasn't been that hard for me. And now. Now you're like trying to do it at an office or trying to like be like, I'm running around to meetings today. What does that mean? How does that work? Exactly. And so again, like all of this is coming from a place of total, like a lot of inexperience, but this is my experience so far. It's really hard, especially if you have a job like ours where you do, we're not just sitting in an office all day, especially if you happen to be promoting a book at the same time. Thanks for talking about all of this. Hey, thanks for asking so many great questions about it. Thanks for being so supportive. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify. Follow us at Of A Kind on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page. If you have ideas or requests for the show, email them to a few things at ofakind.com or call 833-OF-A-KIND. If you want to advertise on the podcast, that's advertising at ofakind.com. Our intro music is Butterfield East and it is written and performed by the Soulful Saints. We are recording from Alex's house.